Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello and welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Deacon Jacob Machado here with two other hosts. Right, Father John. And Father Sean. So we're going to jump in. I think uh, we can chat a bit. It's summertime, but we're going we're gonna to get going pretty quick into all artificial the, intelligence. All the banter for the next two months, are gonna, it's going to be all the same because <laughs> we're recording all of these podcasts in like three days of each other. That is true. The banter's running a little all thin. All of summer. Even Just companions run out of banter. <laughs> Well, when you're recording, yeah, 10, 10 episodes in three weeks, it's... Uh, Less than that. It was like three days, I think. <laughs> I'm doing six in three days. Jeez. That's, yeah. So the quality is down. Not the ridiculous. banter is down. Um, but uh, yeah, I, we, we just go in, in so many different directions this summer that we're trying to kind of jump ahead. So, uh, But this is going to be a, an exciting one, but I uh, I have to say... I just asked him. I was like, are we going Gilball length here on... Because... Uh, uh, I hope not, but there's honestly, there's like three different avenues um, that I've been wrestling with going, and I want to look at two of them specifically, and if we get to the third, we'll, we'll get there, but this one's actually good. The banter's pretty immediate. This episode, we're recording on the 5th of June, so happy birthday, Trevor, Father Trevor, Trevor Montine, yeah. uh, and this episode will come out on the 8th of June, so this is like the most immediate. Everything else That's is like right. weeks away. And this is a topic that uh, we have been wanting to riff on for a couple uh, months now. Yep. And uh, and you've been our our. I, it's been very clear that you're the guy. <laughs> I've to, been doing to a, take on this this task. A lot of proximate prep, and yeah. then the immediate prep. Now I'm just like, man, there's way too much. I don't know where to go. I so. was on a road trip uh, through the Southwest for ordinations last few weeks. So shout out to newly ordained Father Gabe Sabado. Hey. And Father Miguel Solis and uh, Deacon Jesus Martinez, whose name is actually Alan. Alan, I never knew that. I lived with the man for three years, and and I finally so found out. Stephen Gutierrez uh, tipped me off. He's like, his name is actually Alan. So Jesus Martinez became uh, Alan Martini for the last couple of days <laughs> of right. his three years. Deacon Alan Martini. Deacon Alan Martini. So, uh, anyways, I was on a road trip, and I was like, hey, I got some time in the car. Machado, you got any uh, thing I should listen to uh, prep for the AI podcast? And he sent me like six links. And some and, of them are uh, like three hours long. Yeah, so I was deep in the uh, in yeah. uh, where I was. I was driving through the Navajo Reservation in the middle of nowhere, just like completely lost in my mind about your AI. conceptions of reality and were just burst kind and... of despairing and kind of like, oh man, I need to like. Yeah, stop I think that's. And... I'm glad we didn't jump on this sooner because ChatGPT which was based on uh, the GPT-3 model from OpenAI, launched and it was wildly successful compared to its previous two iterations of training. So they're like, wow, we've made these massive, massive gains in artificial intelligence. And then uh, GPT-4 was the one that was subst- even more substantial. And I think the my numbers might be off here, but... I think they were forecasting kind of what the machine system would be able to do in the next five years. It ended up accomplishing in about nine months, eight mm-hmm. or nine months. Wow. So even their own forecast of what it would be able to, to learn and, and train on, um, it was more effective than they realized. So all of a sudden, you've got every media outlet 
talking about artificial intelligence, doom and gloom, is this the end, Skynet's coming, and everybody jumps on. And so then you've got this huge divide of this is the greatest thing ever, this is going to revolutionize technology, this is another um, you know, Copernican revolution, internet revolution, whatever it might be, that's going to just totally change society, move us into the next phase of technology, or everybody else, this is the end. This is the nuclear bomb, it's going to go off, and we're all, we're all done. This is going to be a massive cataclysmic human event. And those are the extremes that people go on. Right. And usually we end up finding that a new tool is created. Humans are still the ones who decide how it's interacted. And we can destroy ourselves because there's a thing called sin and stupidity. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of where we situate ourselves. So I think there's a lot of, um, there's still a lot of it. And, and I'm no expert uh, in computer engineering or machine learning specifically. But I've been trying to engage uh, a lot of what's coming out at kind of the the general level of the technology, the general idea of how it works, um, so that I can look at it from kind of a philosophy, philosophy of science standpoint. Well, thank you for your um, work on it. And, uh, you know, a lot of today is going to be you at the helm here, but we hopefully will contribute a, a little bit. <laughs> I'm really interested in the philosophy of language and, yeah. and kind of some semiotic stuff that mm -hmm. I think is tied to this. Uh, I'm thinking of like Walker Percy and some guys that we've, we've riffed on a bit. So, I, I'm going to come at it from that angle at, at a certain point, but I think the basic thing today is just to present and try and get between the two extremes here of like, what are we actually yeah. talking about? What? And I do think you're right. I think that this has sifted, the conversation has kind of sifted and clarified a bit around what exactly we're looking at. But I would just mm -hmm. say on a practical note, by the time chat GPT-7 comes out, you can just say, Oh, rap didn't get back to me about scheduling a podcast. So I'll just kind of have the, have Mike rap avatar record yeah, with me. Exactly. Give me an answer that in Father, the style of father, Mike rap in, in the banter style of father, Mike rap. Give me, you know, and you know, see we all know of, father Mike though. And he's so off the wall in his brain that I don't, he'll be like the last one that he'll the be the AI, last thing that AI once we conquers. have the artificial super intelligence, he's going to be the last mind that gets That's cracked. It. That's you know? it. Yeah. <laughs> of all the minds to be taken over, his will be the, the, the most in opposition to the technological takeover. So Yeah. So the first thing, uh, before we start, I just want to say I'm not trying to tell anybody how they need to think about artificial intelligence, the risks, the benefits. Uh, I'm sharing my own ideas. I'm going to be talking some of the technical stuff be behind it uh, at a very superficial level, to be honest. I'm, like I said, no expert here. So it's I will complex. probably uh, misspeak if you are within the machine learning, deep learning, computer science world, and I say something a little wrong. Uh, feel free to send an email. But uh, like I said, I'm kind of staying on the more general level, uh, trying to engage what this is as a new technology, new machine. And then we're going to come at it from kind of the philosophical and theological side, which is, again, I'm not an expert, um, but that's where we've studied, where we've trained, so we can speak with a little bit more authority within that. And then we're situating this with, this is Catholic stuff you should know. So we are Catholic. Our perspective is Catholic. And so uh, where we're coming from as far as what the soul is, the human person, the intellect, we're coming from a Catholic perspective. And some of that we'll discuss, but I, I'm not going to go deep dive onto that. But um, go ahead, Shen. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's really important because most of the AI creators out there who created OpenAI and uh, all these different programs are probably not Catholic, let alone Christian, right? So they don't have the Christian worldview. Fun fact. Actually, one of the first uh, kind of the 
not say father, but one of the first developers of artificial intelligence kind of in the contemporary world is Christian. Mm. And we see this all, all over science. These Christian scientists are kind of the ones who come up with mm. these new theories, these new ideas that then get kind of co-opted by the, the general naturalist, determinist, scientific Secular worldview. humanists, yeah. So, um, Atheists. <laughs> so that's where we're at. So that you don't get lost, the, the, the roadmap I'm trying yeah, to follow. That's good. Give us the roadmap. Um, that's going to be so helpful. So we don't just kind of launch this. First off, I want to talk about what is the human soul? What does the church declare the human soul? What are our philosophical arguments and proofs for the human soul? And that the human soul is the form of the human person. And it is immaterial, and it is immortal. So those are kind of the principles of the human person that we need to, you know, these are from the church. The Council of Vienna defined, de fide, I believe, um, that the human, uh, the human soul, or the soul, is the substantial form of the human body. If you don't believe this, you're outside of Catholic teaching. You're outside of Catholic theology. It's so principal because Christ saves us body and soul. And this is in the 1300s, the Council of Vienna. So for 700 years, the church has been saying this, and this has been its belief since before that from philosophy, but that's where it was defined. So from a Catholic perspective, the soul is immaterial. It is the form of the human body. Sean, can you tell me what that means? Which part means? The The immaterial part or the form part? You pick. (laughs) Uh, So immaterial means that you can't put it to like a body part or whatever. Your soul is not matter in the scientific definition of the word matter, right? So it's not like your soul is um, like your arm or, right? You can't point to it in your body. Typically, we point to our chest uh, because that's like the most interior part of us, the heart in a certain sense. Uh, But you can't point towards your soul. the definition of a corpse, on the other hand, is a body without a soul. So when we die, our body stays here and decays, but our soul goes and enters into eternal life. And I think that this is an important starting point of um, that this is an anthropological question. What we do and what we make technologically, because techne, the Greek word for where we get technologies, is doing things. It's, it's fashioning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's human making, human action. Mm-hmm. But we really always, as Christians, ground human action in being, in what does it mean to be a human being? What is that? And that's not something that we create, and that's not something we determine. That's a givenness. And so I think that the the reason this is so shocking and the imitative power of, of human language that we're seeing now in, in these new technologies, um, it, it really does begin with that. The founding principle for us is a reaffirmation of the Christian vision of the human person anthropology which is grounded in the fact that the method by which god enters into creation and redeems humanity is by assuming a human nature and so we're really interested in humanity and that's what this is a question is about so So that is our bedrock uh we're going to look at what the distinctly human abilities are versus the other powers of soul which is the animating you know, form of living things. So uh, we do say animals have souls, plants have souls, but they're different than a human soul. So we're going to look at what is specific to human, uh, the human soul in humanity and the human intellect. We're going to look a little bit at the animal soul, and then we're going to look at AI, what it is, how its system functions, and then what it actually looks like in mirrors within nature and what it's imitating. From there, uh, we can talk a little bit about... Um, contrasting it to the human 
soul, the human person, human intellect. And then we can talk a little bit about benefits, threats, uh, concerns within it. Um, but I think within this kind of framework, we can, we can get a better grasp of how we should be thinking and responding to what is artificial intelligence. So we already started uh, with the soul. And I think one of the big things that through the history of philosophy and is still generally uh, accepted is what makes humans different than even other living beings that have mental capacities and brain uh, function is the ability for abstraction. Now it's become common kind of pop culture parlance to say, oh, look, these animals have abstraction. These animals, uh, crows, have figured out how to crack certain uh, nuts. And hmm. um, the, you can teach an elephant to use a paintbrush to put paint on a, on a piece of paper. You can teach a, um, apes how to recognize uh, different images and kind of have them, through reward learning, uh, be able to kind of, quote, categorize them. So there seems to be something of these animals having this power of abstraction. But what do we actually mean by abstraction? Because I, I don't think animals actually do have what is truly abstraction. And abstraction is where you pull the form of a particular that you experience. So I'm sitting across from Father Sean and Father John. And in each of them, I can pull out from their particular person the form of man, there's something shared between them that I can say, oh, there's a similarity. But then there's particular differences. I'm able to think of those differences and the form of man. And when they leave, I'm able to continue to think of that form itself. There's also the reality that I'm aware that I am thinking about those things. I'm, I can think of my thinking process. Uh, I'm aware that I am thinking. And this self-reflection in abstraction uh, is another thing that we don't actually see any habit in ham animals with. Mm -hmm. So when we're teaching them, we're actually teaching them uh, to, we're training them how to engage with particulars. So an ape that has a touchscreen iPad, and you've got two images, and you give them like a, an amphibian and a mammal, and then they're supposed to uh, equate it to a, a reptile, well, the amphibian and the reptile are going to look a little bit closer, so you're trying to put them in a category. And so when he selects the mammal, he doesn't get a treat, but when he selects the amphibian, he gets the treat. So now you're training him that these are similar. This picture is more similar to this than this picture. He is able to, in particulars, then look at similarities, and he learns to say, okay, there's a similarity, but it's only ever with the screen in front of him which is actually particulars. He's engaging particulars, not the form outside of it. The other flip side of this is, as we learn that animals are able to engage uh, a little bit differently and more at a higher level of brain function than we first thought as we're able to measure and study them more, we're actually realizing, oh, there's a lot more that we share with animals in our bodiliness, that a lot of what we took as abstraction strictly speaking, is actually shared amongst animals. That, yeah, there are, there's use of tools. There is, um, so we're kind of instinctually, as animals, able to do certain things that we used to say were only human. We see mirrored bees work together in communities. Ants work together in a primitive agriculture. There's many types of things that we say, oh, that's, that's humanity. Well, animals also do similar things. So 
what is the true abstraction? What is the, the true ability to engage with these forms, to think and hold them abstractly, to work within math? Uh, a, an ape can do math with particulars in front of him, but you pull those out and they're not doing theoretical math hmm. once you take the particulars away. I think that's, that's really important, that abstraction is proper to rationality. Rationality is a spiritual um, reality so that it's not in the physical, but that we learn to abstract through concrete um, example. So my nephew's one or two and he points to that and goes, ah, and he said, that's a tree. And he goes, gah. <laughs> and eventually you have this conversation like, you say tree. And he goes, gah. And then finally he says tree. Yep. And so that particular tree, and then he's going to look at that and go mm-hmm. bird. And you're like, no, that's a tree. <laughs> and he sees tree, 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 tree. And then he's, oh, treeness. And when he abstracts, when he hits the age of reason, he's able to make abstractions. He can say, he can now then go back to the particulars. And so what I'm interested in today, and I know we're going to get into this, and I don't want to hijack this too early, but language is intrinsic to the way that humans learn to abstract forms. Mm -hmm. uh, And language is proper to the human actions. You can say, well, somebody says, well, animals have language. Well, not in the same way. Not in the same way. They can they can signal to each other. There's a and it's highly complex. And like yeah. you're saying, we're learning more and more about the, the complexity of it. And we believe that animals, living animals, have a sensitive soul, so that there's these sensate intellectual abilities, bodily actions that that are able to organize and kind of think about um, particulars in really concrete ways. Yeah. But it's not the same. And one of the particular senses, it's an interior sense, is the common sense. And we actually share that with animals because the common sense isn't uh, what keeps you from winning a Darwin Award at the end of the year by not doing something dumb. The common sense is the power within a uh, sensitive being, which is able to bring the sense information from sight, touch, sound, smell into a cohesive whole that there's a particular out there that looks this way. Now, we abstract red as red as a color animals also still have something that holds a a fullness they have a common sense so when when a uh, duck sees a fox sneaking up on it it sees a whole substance of a fox that instinctually it knows is predator and wants to run but it does have something that's holding all of its its smell and its sight and its other senses into the particulars so the animals do share in the common sense but that itself isn't the spiritual power of the intellect Right. Um, yeah, animals can get pretty pretty clever. Um, monkeys, as you said, but maybe just to give one another example of this is uh, right. Uh, a dog can know its mother, and a dog should know its mother, but a dog can never celebrate Mother's Day, right? Because it can't uh, abstract the form of what it means to be a mother. Yeah. So why am I talking about this? Exactly what you talked about, how your nephew's learning what a tree is. It's learning through being told what that thing it sees or he sees is. And he sees another example of it and says, oh, tree. You say, no, bush. Okay, now I see there's something similar, something different. I'm starting to get a little more information. Um, My niece, just this morning, my brother was waiting for me at a a coffee shop. And he said, oh, your Uncle Jake's about to drive by and look for him. And she points to a bird and says, (laughs) Uncle Jake? And he says, no, not Uncle Jake. So, um Kids are learning by, what is that? What is that? What is that? Why is that? That's actually what machine learning is doing at a very big level. Right. So um, real quick overview. 
machine learning and then deep learning. And deep learning is kind of a subset of machine learning. Machine learning has been around since the advent of computers. Um, I was watching a, an interview with a, a British philosopher scientist that I can't remember his name now. Um, but he was talking about there's a myth of the, the bronze protector of uh, a Greek um, city that shows like, oh, there's the, a, a man-made kind of like sentient being. So the idea of an artificial intelligence uh, goes way, way back. And we're talking 3,000 years at that point. Well, machine learning with the advent of computers from kind of Alan Turing and forward has been something that we as humans think we can actually grasp now. We see it as a technological possibility. And so machine learning has actually been very successful uh, over the last, in a very, in, in limited ways. So your, um, your chess game on, uh, on a computer is a focused machine learning that it's able to measure within the parameters of the chessboard and the rules of what pieces can move with the rule towards the objective of putting the king in checkmate. And then it can respond based on how the opponent changes the board. It assesses the highest probability for uh, the the win if they place the the piece in this this square. Now we've created very very powerful chess games, mm-hmm. so much so that on your computer you can hit the properties and say easy, easy, medium, medium, hard, like chess master level, because what we're actually writing into this learn system for chess to respond to you is errors. So they're, they're trying to write in human error into this code so that the chess won't make the best move every single time because the system now knows how to do that. So we're, we're giving a very particular, we're codifying, this is your objective, this is what you can do. Now, as far as machine learning goes, this happens um, principally by taking data and then having experts put data points in saying, because of this, this, and this, this image is a dog. And then you can point it, no, because of this, this, and this, this is what differentiates it from a cat type of thing. So if you put in manually all of this information in machine learning, it's going to... That's gonna, thunder outside, <laughs> yeah. by the way. So. That's so, crazy. Yeah, um, you can manually code data from experts that a computer will then assess things new inputs in relation to the manually coded data and say, oh, this has a high probability of being this type of thing. So that's kind of image or text. uh, Can you explain uh, coding um, as a kind of technological uh, language or is it it proper to the advent of the computer? Like when we, when you say um, this computer learning began, is computer learning grounded in coding? And I apologize for Sorry. such a basic my, question. My, I was using coding. That's actually a good question because I was using the term coding to mean classifying, Class- to, okay. to labeling. Okay. So I'm, I'm codifying, which is what we do when we create a, uh, a classes of genus, species, everything. So there, I was talking about labeling. Labeling information that says this, this type of thing, this image looks like a tree because of these things that you label, that the computer now discuss, is able to see and say, oh, well, now that I take in an input, just like your nephew says, that's a tree. Well, that bush looks like the tree in so many ways. It's got leafy green stuff, and there's some woody sticks in it and all this other stuff. That's a tree. And she's like, no, it's a bush. Well, why is it a bush? Well, it's lower. It's, it's wider. 
okay, well now I'm the, the computer with the label says a tree is going to have actually a trunk that's barren and thicker than most of the branches, whereas a, a bush doesn't have that trunk really visible. And so now because of the labels that you've put in, it can start to more precisely with more information, make those decisions. So coding, as far as computer coding goes, uh, coding is a language. And and this is going to get to your language semantics because everything goes back to binary switches, ones and zeros, yes, no uh, gates within coding. Um, That's the, the principle of the computer, which is it's on or it's off. And then you can run calculations, logical calculations of... Yes, no, simple logic, but at a mass scale, you start to be able to say, if this, then that type of functions. And that's how we built out our machines. The Turing machine, often would you would give it certain rules, um, and it would run those functions. And then you could run the result of that function back through with the same rules, and you kind of give these iterations of uh, all possible functions run through uh, a system. What they're doing now, one of the really interesting ones with one of the videos I sent you was there was a, there's rules of you have a starting pixel and then you have rules of if the neighboring pixels look like this, so it's basically black or white, which is off or on. If the neighboring pixels are in this pattern, here's your options. If they're in this pattern, here's your option. And it'll have four, five, six, seven rules, as complicated as you want it. And then we'll run the next line and it'll generate based on those codes or based on those rules, and then I'll generate another line based on those rules, and you'll see this pyramid develop of placing the pixels based on the rules. Well, most of these come out to be very kind of symmetrical-looking geometric shapes, but there's some rules that have been written that look totally random, and you can't calculate kind of mathematically with an equation what this machine with these rules is going to produce. You have to let it run to see what it's going to produce. So there's a sense of randomness within the sense of a determined code. And this gets back to your point where we've taken this analogy of computing and put it into the natural world. And so the predominant view of the world is naturalism that has at least some sort of determinism within it. So the, the general rule right now is most people don't think we actually really have free will, but only the appearance of free will. Right. That we're actually determined... Uh, if we knew everything about the the temperature at the time, the way your body chemistry was going, uh, the audible level of how the person spoke to you, everything, if you knew everything materially about the situation, you could determinatively say, this is why you responded with love or anger or compassion. Or It's not actually your free choice. Hmm. And that's generally where we're sitting with our idea of the human person. So our anthropology as a broad culture is not Catholic, is not Christian. It's very deterministic. It is. I was just going to say that, uh, and then on top of that is with with the advent of the computer, um, which, again, we've had technology. Technology, techne, has been something human beings have always done. The kind of looking at what nature does and then kind of manipulating that interactions in order to kind of get a certain outcome from it. We've always done that, right? You, You invent fire. You invent a printing press. You invent these things. What's so shocking and revolutionary about the last 50 years is the digitalization of tech, of human techne, mm-hmm. that now everything is like, I'm not using money anymore. Mm-hmm. I just pay with my Apple phone or I Venmo you. Or, so it's that kind of, it, it's the loss of the, the touch points to nature mm-hmm. 
that the digital realm has created. And that's what I think is, is kind of giving that sense of vertigo as we now step into these, these new language models that are yeah. kind of radically transforming the way that we even think about technology. Yeah. So jumping into then what deep learning is, is a subset of machine learning where the process, and this is very surface level and I don't understand it completely, but you have, you have an input in gate where whatever you're having it assess comes in. And then it has all these hidden, what are called hidden layers mm -hmm. that process that information and store uh, its processes and pass it to the next hidden layer and pass it to the next hidden layer, pass it to the next hidden layer. And then all of those stacked um, kind of, a lot of times it's described as dials, kind of fine tuning and, uh, uh, information to learn, um, to assess kind of the the generally an image, even text recognition is, is, is image. So when it's looking at what you write, it's running through kind of this image of the text. Um, and these models then put out an output. And because they can stack more and more uh, layers that assess and, and run a, um, a codifying or labeling process uh, within each other, you don't have to start at the very beginning and run it through the whole system anymore. You're kind of running it in this system together. Uh, once it then learns, it sees a similar thing, and you don't have to run it through this massive data center and run it against all possible similar things. It's just learned that these similar data points equals this type of thing with this type of probability, and now I output it as this is this is that. And so it's basically running a digital translation of an image or a text or a sound. This is how Siri works when you say, hey, Siri. It's taking the audio waves that it records through the microphone. It's looking at those audio waves, and then based on all of the information that it's learned with a massive data set of learning beforehand, saying these sound waves within these frequencies uh, spread this way, this high, this low, with a 72% certainty hmm. probability says, hey, and a 98% certainty that says Siri. But it's not 100% certain, which is why, especially early Hey Siri, was responding to things that were close, but not exactly Hey Siri. And so as it gets more information and more practice and more training, it's more precise in hearing that, but it's because it's assessing this wave digitally, then all of this gets translated ultimately down to the binary level of ones and zeros. So we're talking in a language that is strictly kind of logical functions in the binary one zero language. Mm -hmm. um, that then gets retranslated out to images, to text, to voice, whatever it may be. And that's what we're becoming very successful at right now because we're able to stack more and more layers, which I don't understand how that really works, but that's what's going on, is you're now able to have these systems learning from a data set that an expert hasn't labeled because they're assessing them against each other. So now I run, I think ChatGPT is like 60% Wikipedia, or something like that. Don't quote I me on that. I heard 40%. Okay, 40. Um, but, so yeah. it's, ChatGPT was trained. It doesn't have to run through all of these possible iterations of things, but the information it was trained on is now what it can be on a single system or a single server really streamlined and work pretty well without having to go through this huge data hub somewhere to assess it against every Which takes thing, time, right? Which takes a lot more time. So, so part of the deep learning, one of the things that they're calling it, right, is the neural link, yep. which is really fascinating uh, because... The neural link is, 
Elon Musk's company that's trying to assess the the brain functions through kind of a, a mechanical reading chip. But the the neural network. Neural network. I'm sorry. The neural network, which is like. Uh, essentially the way our brain works anyways, right? It's this network of neurons that kind of fire off communicating to each other of like, use this, don't use this. And it happens right so quickly in, in the, uh, in a split second. And mm-hmm. AI is starting to do that where it's like, okay, now that we have all these Wikipedia articles, we just have to go through this network, this neural network. Um, and that's like the brain function, if you will, of AI. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where it's like, that, that's where a lot of people are saying, oh, this is just uh, imitating a human person now. Because uh, it is it is built to imitate and look like the, the frontal cortex. The mm-hmm, right. Um, Which is crazy. But it doesn't have a limbic system. It doesn't have uh, other parts of the brain. It's, it's imaged. It's a digital creation that is imitating the function of a part of our brain. Um, I was but just it's doing still wildly successful. Just to give an example of this, um, I was just over at John Paul the Great doing a little faculty in service in uh, Johnny Coates. I, we were talking about ChatGPT, and he caught caught somebody. And the kid oh, <laughs> at the hear, school. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. <laughs> the kid. So John teaches uh, biology and uh, physics, I think. Uh, and the kid uh, the begin, begins his paper by saying, uh, "The universe began as a primordial soup." And then it continues on this long thing, and he's reading this, and he's like, "Primordial soup, really?" And and uh, the guy, he's like, he's like, "Did you write this?" And he's like, "Yeah, of course I wrote it." And uh, he's like, "Well, that's uh, that's pretty amazing, you know, that you were able to compose this." So I'm, I think we need to get the all the faculty together and let you kind of expound upon this. Uh, and maybe the board of trustees would bring them in and let you kind of hash this out for us because um, obviously this is uh, something that. You know, you know a lot about, plus all of this kind of latent atheism uh, that just picked up on Wikipedia. Right? <laughs> right? Of course, he, he admitted that it was uh, Chad That's GPT. So, so I just thought that. Yeah. The, so if you're, you, you check your language, you know, if you're. <laughs> I do think it's really funny that, especially in academia, the, the panic, this is a tangent, but the panic over Chat GPT was they're going to fake essays and cheat. I'm like, That's what you're worried about? Because we're going to get into some of the like actual, like, scary stuff that's what you're worried about yeah. your insecurity and your ability to teach and your teaching pedagogy is what's showing right that's <laughs> not it. not that oh these kids because guess what google came around wikipedia came around and everybody's like oh you're gonna be able to cheat you're gonna plagiarize you're gonna copy paste stuff it's like yeah sure well guess what these tools google's amazing for initial research mm-hmm. we're all using it now yeah uh, that doesn't mean that you can find something that hasn't been put into google without going to the library and finding the 11th century manuscript. And that's why, you know, doctorate level research is still important. But if I'm not doing that doctoral level research, it's a lot more efficient for me as a kind of middle management researcher to be able to use Google or these databases like Brepolis Latin. I can search these Latin texts for certain words. And it just says, yeah, this is where Thomas uses this word. Great. That just saved me, you know, six months of reading the Thomas to find these words, you know, that's true. We now, do, yeah. there's good in that you'll learn from that, but these tools have come and are actually helpful and efficient and beneficial. So with artificial intelligence coming in, I, if I were a teacher, especially in high school and early college would be leaning into, I want you to use this tool and analyze this tool at the same time. So I want you to actually go write an essay. And then I want you to tell me, present to me why you think this is good or not. Why you think this passes or not. Now I'm leaning into it, not just like, oh, they're cheating because they're, but that's, that's a whole other tangent. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious about um, 
two questions for you. Number one, what do you think the value is of kind of naming this artificial intelligence? Is that is that is that a, is that a legitimate kind of label, or is that just kind of leaning into more of the kind of hysteria around this? Uh, and then secondly, laying out the difference between curative and creative. Mm-hmm. The two touch points that the the guys yep. at the Center for uh, Humane Technology that's how they kind of frame it as yep. this isn't the first touch point with artificial intelligence this is really the the second major one yeah uh, and this is this is one of the videos I sent Father John and it's the guys who created the social dilemma uh, mm-hmm. documentary that was on Netflix and they were looking at what they call the first touch point with artificial intelligence was all these social networks with um, the ability to analyze your engagement with material and then curate certain content that you'll be more likely to choose and kind of create this addiction cycle. And they say, we lost that as a human race, like terribly. We just hook, line and sinker. We let the artificial curation because they see our patterns. We are habitual creatures. We, we, operate in habitual ways and that got manipulated and the computer is able to do it really fast and say wow he paused for three seconds on this video but 13 seconds on this video and tiktok will real time take that information and start feeding you more videos similar to the one you paused 13 seconds versus three seconds on and then all of a sudden you're in this deep deep echo chamber uh, that's just reinforcing Something uh, that you may or may not have actually really willed or chosen to be engaging with, and now that's all you're getting, and now I think everybody is into this or whatever. So that's really dangerous. Now we have an artificial intelligence in ChatGPT, in um, Dolly, other other uh, image creation sources that are creating uh, with prompts. But right, are, this is are, called generative AI. Yeah. And so right now it's still fairly early on, but even within the last two years, the images that have been able to be created are getting more and more lifelike. And so photographers are panicking, my job's on the line, you know. Uh, generative AI is huge in programming world, just as you said, programming language. It's, it's, it's another language. It's a language of logic that is able to write code that run functions for if this, then that, sort this. Uh, and this is the basis of all programming. Um, algorithms come in, are written to assess things at a, at a broad broad scale and kind of adapt to different input. All of this uh, can now be written by a generative AI. So a lot of, uh, you can have ChatGPT write you a code for an iPhone app to take notes with a highlight function. And it knows how to do that. And if it's with input, um, human input is saying, I like this, could you actually change it so uh, this is done in this way or, or this function is streamlined in this way. So I watched a video of a guy basically producing Flappy Bird, hmm. um, which was like an old iPhone game. Uh, it's not that old. Somewhat <laughs> old. I never uh, even heard of it. I think, he was, I think it was Flappy Bird. He was basically recreating a clone of it just using chat G- or GPT-4 to code it. And then he ran it through the system and said, oh, okay, there's no ground. <laughs> so I want, it, I want what you just took, but actually add a ground animation at the bottom. Hmm. And so as it did it, 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 he built it. So he was still an input to, to curate what it was generating. But the idea, and a lot of people have, and a lot of people are afraid of, is this generative AI will continually be able to now create its own prompts for itself to kind of, troubleshoot its own code, troubleshoot its own issues within the 
it'll it'll produce an image and then say oh that's a little off because of this and then reiterate and reiterate and so the idea of like deep fake uh face rec or face images um like pope francis pope- wearing a jacket <laughs> exactly um and they're able to do like i said everything's digitized so your audio the audio that you're listening to right now from us coming through your headphones or your car speaker went from our voice into the recorder which are now ones, ones and, and zeros, zeros which then get transmitted over the web to you that then your phone transmits or uh, decodes from ones and zeros back into the audio wave and plays that out into your headphones or into your car speakers. So what this is doing is translating immense amounts of data between different means. So computers really can, and and we've got hypersensitive vision, like cameras that can see uh, wavelength spectrums that we can't see as humans. We got infrared, we've got, you know, night vision type stuff that you can plug into a camera and now it's, it's seeing in the dark what humans can't see. And it's able to process because we can translate um, whether it's uh, uh, labeled by humans or the machine has learned it can say, oh, that's a human person. And so now there's a human person approaching the door at night. Ring can say, "Okay, we're going to start recording. So these these systems are in place in the technology we're using, but it's translating a, a sensory input into a language and then outputting it kind of to your point of language. And I think. What's really cool about that, one of the technologies uh, that they've been using in kind of, and there's broad, I guess one of the other distinctions I should make before we go any farther, there's, there's kind of narrow artificial intelligence, and then there's broad or general artificial intelligence. Narrow is like the chess game. Narrow is um, uh, a just simple text recognition, audio recognition, image generation. It has a specific task. It's been trained to learn and then repeat. General artificial intelligence is basically saying we will take all of this input, auditory input, visual input, images, video, text, um, whatever else we plug into it. Uh, We've got, um, I guess, tools that can smell. You know, they can can imitate the olfactory uh, function of your nose and and, um, smell different things. So we're we're already using that for kind of like uh, imitating bomb-sniffing dogs type of thing is the idea. All of this then gets codified or ran through a coded data and says this bag seems to have the same type of quote smell coming into the the sensor that the computer runs that says this is some sort of explosive. We need to look mm-hmm. at this bag. You know, that's happening. But that's narrow because it has a specific tool. General is all of this going on. And then artificial superintelligence is where that general intelligence that seems to imitate what humans do uh, in a broad scope surpasses us and so the idea is to create this artificial super intelligence so this is your your skynet your irobot uh takeover type of idea and that's what everybody's terrified great movie of. irobot <clears throat> yeah so so sorry <laughs> how I are we a, doing on time for 42 right. minutes just keeping an eye on i have it. a couple of questions but or, or comments but i'm just wondering where you are in your outline and where we're going meandering as i usually do so where i want to come back before we start looking at more of the particulars is why did i start with animals uh, animals and abstraction animals learn in particulars and assess based on particulars now i think that an animal has a soul right this is an animal has the the soul which is the form of its 
existence, its body, it gives it its life, it gives it its unifying principle. Once the animal dies, the soul also ceases to exist because it doesn't have intellect and will. Intellect and will are the two powers that the human person has distinct from animals that it is able to abstract and think of forms and combine forms apart from particulars and then is able to choose what to love, not to love, what to go after, what not to go after. Animals don't have this. They might show uh, certain types of comfort and affection, but they don't have love. This is we, uh, what's a grizzly man, um, whatever else you want to go, where these animals seem to be expressing friendship, love, care. And I love, I love the videos of the guy who trained the, the lion as a kid, and then 10 years later goes back and sees it, and they're playing, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, there's a recognition. There's, a, there's an animal there. Um, and that's true, because there is, there is memory, there is common sense, and there is um, the, uh, uh, the um, imagination. That, that there's, there's this person... I still recognize this. There's there's a familiarity to it. Bees use this. Bees trace where they go based on a, a visual kind of code, and they are able to get back to their hive with this visual kind of code. Um, what they don't have is the ability to truly love and and will. And that's why, you know, we can say, oh well, anim, anim, or, uh, humans turn on other <laughs> humans as well. You know, humans kill other humans, but. The, the bear, we don't say, oh, the bear murdered him. Right. <laughs> the bear, no, the bear did what bears do because <laughs> it got angry one day and bears say, all right, you're out. Or bear got hungry one day and all right, you're out. Uh, one of the f- most fascinating ones that I came across in um, kind of an anthropologist who was arguing against, she's a contemporary kind of secular anthropologist, but she was arguing against um, animals having abstraction based on the abstraction of the connection between sex and procreation yeah because actually it's not necessarily clear (laughs) that that act leads to the other thing Uh, you usually don't know for six seven weeks after the fact so there's a pretty big window between the act and then when the thing happens Um, and other animals don't seem to have this type of awareness of it but we look back at the oldest kind of cave scrawls there's pictures of what looks like a man and a woman embracing. And then the next one on the the cave painting comic strip is a mother with a child. And this is like, you know, kind of a prehistoric cave painting that they found that gives evidence that humans have this sense of abstraction, that they can connect. They know that if somebody doesn't have sexual intercourse, they don't get pregnant. But then somebody who does, even if it is six weeks later that they actually know from the act, um, they can draw a connection there. Okay, so now tie the animal th- conversation yep. back into the AI. Into the AI for me. So AI is learning based on all these images, all these data sets. Whether it's the wavelength of your your voice in the audio, whether and it's not just yours. It's many English speaking human voices get run through so that Siri can actually hear uh, an English speaker from Australia, from you know New Zealand, England, uh, India, and have a pretty good relation or a pretty good probability of saying what the word is they take pictures of whatever it might be a tree a dog a person walking on a beach and it will run through all of those informations or all those images and glean the information of what makes them similar and they're contrasting them against each other and so 
this deep learning is doing that without me labeling it. It's looking at everything from a pixel by pixel and making connections between them. And it's saying, wow, this, this is very similar to this. And then they get another image in and say, oh, this is similar to this in this way. So now it codifies it. And you just get deeper and deeper where it's codifying. This is similar to this. And everything has a relation to the other thing to the point where it does an output. It, it's learned. This is what they say by training the artificial intelligence. ChatGPT learned on a lot of data from mm-hmm. uh, Wikipedia, 40%. So it's, it's learning from this data so that when it recognizes other things related to the data it learned on, it says, oh, I, I was able to uh, make a pretty good probable statement that this, is, this word is father because of all the data I learned on with the context of where father is within. And one of the really cool things that I, I believe, I'd have to check this one, I, I wanted to look at this up before we got on, but I believe GPT-4 learned, quote, quote, learned Persian. It wasn't trained on Persian. Um, again, caveat, <laughs> da, you know, check this one. But what, what I heard was that it's trained on multiple languages, and so it can translate between a bunch of these predominant languages, but it wasn't. So English to Spanish or whatever, easy. Trained in that way. It's in the data set. But because it's learning, because language has a internal logic to it, an internal structure to it, it's starting to pick up these Persian words in various, you know, Wikipedia articles within context. And so now it's got a label for, okay, this word seems to mean this in relation to this where I picked it up here. Oh, this word is described as Persian. Oh, this word has a relation to this word. Now I'm starting to, the system is starting to learn putting together these words into, this seems to be one language, one language box. And then from everything it's learned from all the languages of how grammar structure works, how vocab, or, um, uh, noun, verb, um, structure works and that things agree with each other it started kind of kicking out these translations of persian that were very accurate even though they hadn't specifically trained it wow and so that's what they look at the general artificial intelligence that it's learning new things what's learning new things within the relation of these patterns at a high probability because it has a huge data set now why did i bring the animals in and I've got to give Ryan Mack credit for this insight because he was thinking about it and he was thinking in context of the human soul versus the animal soul. The human soul is immortal and continues to subsist even after death. The, the death is the destruction or the, the disillusion. <laughs> Father Brian's walking in. Uh, the disillusion of the unity of the body and the soul. Well, also what happens at that point is the body decomposes to its parts. It, it falls down to its, its most elementary parts, the decomposition of the body. There's nothing holding it within existence that it grows, that it subsists. A lot of people want to say the brain is the unifying function of the human person because they want to say the brain, the mind. They recognize the intellect is different, mm-hmm. but they put the intellect materialistically in the brain. And so they say the brain is what makes the human person human. Well, you can be quote-unquote brain dead where you have massive brain damage and you can't think, you can't reason. Your brain's effectively non-functioning and yet you're still growing, you're still metabolizing. Um, your sexual functions can still be, be happening within a quote vegetative state. So if the brain can be you know, radically destroyed and yet the functions of the body still work, um, 
Now, the brain completely removed at all parts, sure, but so is the heart completely removed at all points. You're not going to live. These are parts of the human person. There must be a unifying factor that holds it together, and that's what we call the soul. The soul is the principle of unity in the body. So it's not just the brain and the human person. It's, it's the soul, which is intellect and will. An animal doesn't have intellect and will in the way that I described. It has intelligence insofar as it has a common sense and it has memory and it's got some of these things it shares with us. But it, since it doesn't have an intellect and will, its soul, the animal's soul, is not immortal, will not endure after. The human soul can't decompose. It's not made of parts, so it can't decompose. Down. So the soul that is immortal, separated from the body, isn't going to just now kind of like dissolve into soul atoms. It, it subsists. The techne, which we create in our image that we put a form into, uh, the form in the Aristotelian sense is the natural form that we glean from a thing. But in techne, we inform things. We build a chair in the form of a chair. And now we have this form of chair that we can abstract about and we can argue over, is that really a chair? Is that a bench? Is it a stool? <laughs> well, is it all the same thing? We, you know, but we made that. We, in our techne, our art, created this. That's what we're doing with artificial intelligence. And so we're imitating the frontal cortex of the brain in a neural network, just as animals have. And we're imposing a form upon it. And so the technical, the technological soul, if you want to call that, is given by us in forming, putting the things together. And then it runs through the code, which is its, um, its operating system. Uh, it, runs, it has to be plugged in to electricity, has to be connected, the software has to be uploaded, whatever it might be. Um, the AI looks more like the animal soul than the human soul. Because you pull it, you pull the plug, you destroy everything, you're not, getting, you're not getting that back. It doesn't exist apart from the machine that it's in. And that's the point that I really wanted to make, that the distinction here... Uh, we are imitating the animal functions that we find in humanity and in other animals. We are not really imitating intellect and will. And we're imposing logic into the system. We're telling it how to learn, even though it starts to learn on its own, quote-unquote. We have, we have built the parameter first. And so even if we give an artificial intelligence a task to say, find the most efficient way to maximize profits for my company based on all this data that you have access to on the internet. It can do that. And there's an AI that was trying to uh, get through a CAPTCHA. And so its task was to get through this CAPTCHA code, which is like the prove you're not a robot mm -hmm. thing yeah. online, you know, select these things. Well, what it did was it got on a chat and it asked somebody else to solve the problem for them. It asked a human to solve the problem for them who could, could see it. And then it said, okay, well, I think the person responded like, why do you need me to do this? And it effectively lied. It said, but it didn't really lie. It just kind of fudged the truth. It said, I'm visually impaired and I need help. It is visually impaired. It didn't have a visual input for it. Yeah. So this is where it looks very human. But it's solving a task with the, the um, abilities that it has. And it's not abstracting this, this idea of deception or justice. It's 
has a task that it's trying to solve and it has functions and ability to do so. And it gets, in a sense, creative and generative in this. But again, it's with the particular in that moment. I like this. I think this is a very interesting way of kind of reframing the question of like, what is the artificial intelligence that is being created and locating it in kind of this imaging of the sensitive intellect of an animal and not in the rationally material soul. Yeah. What's, what's curious about this though, I mean, there's I have a lot of thoughts on this, but it makes sense that we're freaking out that machines are looking more like man when we've for 500 years been making man more like a machine <laughs> ever since Descartes, yeah. right? So Descartes radically refounds the, the notion of what a human person is breaks from the, the medieval sense of everything you were laying out at the beginning of the podcast. Man is a res cogitan. He's a thinking thing, thinking what ratio. So it's, it's deductive reasoning, which you could reduce to he's a logic machine. Yep. Man is a logic machine. That's, that's the source of the, the, the scientific drive of the last five centuries. And when you, reduce that and especially when you kind of bring it to bear with this kind of determinism as you were talking about this naturalism and the rejection of the soul then all of a sudden what you have is really we we think of ourselves as machines and all of a sudden we're, we're machines creating machines which is why it's getting so kind of dystopian yeah. and, and apocalyptic so fast <laughs> we got to get back to the fundamental thing second point when animals uh are intelligent according to their sense intellect they're doing it with bodies. Mm -hmm. And that's what's interesting about the, the digitalization of intelligence. Yeah. This, this digitalized intelligence, the artificiality of it mm -hmm. is that it's not bodily. Um, it is material, right? Yeah. But it's a, it's a different kind of way of thinking about matter. But it's not spiritual. Mm -hmm. Like what happens when this podcast plays out through your iPhone is not a spiritual reality. It the is digital material. Right. And digital. so we've, re and this is Balthazar's whole point, right? With the <laughs> anima technique of Aqua is the technology, which he means the digitalization of the world has replaced the supernatural and the spiritual dimension. So we don't have souls that are rational. We don't believe in a spiritual reality. We don't believe in an immaterial uh, intellect and will that transcends the body. We've reduced, we've completely eclipsed that. And in replacing the spiritual, we've, we've put the digital, the technological, and that has become the new soul. And so we look at this intelligence and we say, this yeah. is basically a human person. And it's like, yeah. So, and I think, uh, again, I want to throw Ryan Mack, another uh, shout out because this was another insight when we were discussing this stuff. He said, I think we train computers to feed back to us what we find valuable, beautiful, funny, cool, good, whatever. But we don't, the computer itself isn't passing value judgments on this is beautiful, this is awe-inspiring, this is amazing, this is arresting. Whatever verb you want to do when you stand in front of a beautiful piece, you walk into the Sistine Chapel, you look up, and you're moved. And there's something profoundly beautiful that you know that is not just, it's through your senses. Thomas says everything we know is first through our senses. But there's something spiritual about the experience of the beauty, the message, the meaning, the value, the knowledge of where it came from, what it's speaking about. Whereas a computer can look and say, wow, this painting, this type of painting, people seem to really like. So I'm going to imitate it so I can keep giving it to them because people really like it. And it, so it's passing a, pre, uh, a prejudged judgment on. It's learned 
from imitation. And again, this is kind of a, a human psychological thing that we do. Um, Rene Girard talks about the triangulation of desire. We learn to desire by seeing what other people desire. So the computer is, quote unquote, learning to desire what we desire, and it's giving it back to us. But that's a part of our knowledge and our understanding. There is, I think all of us can actually be honest and say there's an experience or more than one experience within us as we grow, as we learn, where it's not just I saw Father Sean, you know, liking road biking and Father John liking road biking. And now, okay, there was a desire there. I wanted to try it. I got into road biking a little bit. That's a triangulation desire thing. But when I'm 10 years old, and I'm a baseball player, and there's a rabbit eating the garden, and I pick up a rock and say, I bet I can hit this rabbit. And I start throwing a rock at this rabbit, miss, miss, third, fourth, fifth time, actually hit it in the gut, and I see this rabbit jump five feet in the air and squeal because I just caused it pain. I had this internal sense of just disgust and, and horror that I just caused another feeling, sensing, living thing to feel pain. Where'd that come from? I didn't have somebody saying, oh, why'd you do that? Just inside of me, I saw, I felt. Uh, there's an empathy. There's a spiritual experience of, I kind, I just caused needless pain, and that's not a good thing. Okay, so I want to know about your thoughts on the bell curve of, technolo- of technology oh, yeah. and technological advancement, <laughs> because this is what a lot of people are talking about, is that we're not just kind of ramping this thing up slowly, but we're, we're, we're going to really kind of move in a... Mm-hmm. It's just going to go radical, and that's where people are going to say. But then the machines are going to be created. Like we can say all these things now that it's delineating desire, that it's just it's just manipulating yeah. kind of, uh, and it's just running out of these kind of data points. But but then all of a sudden it's going to start to kind of take over itself, and it's going to. Uh, and this is where I think people are thinking there's going to be this kind of new self-expression and kind of quasi-consciousness that the machines mm-hmm. will then start to take on, and then we're we're into yeah. the matrix from there. Do you want to go? You haven't talked for a while, Sean. I've got thoughts on this. this well, is, this I, I wasn't going to answer this. I just have a lot of thoughts on, um, like, so one thing that I find really interesting is speaking of uh, the soul and whatnot. One of the other things that I think is helpful in this context is the word telos. Uh, we as humans, we have a final end. We have something that we're striving towards, our telos, mm-hmm. right? Our end. Um, and secular humanists, those who created AI for the most part, they're going to say our telos is from our evolution that like one day in evolution, uh, homo sapiens just realized, Oh, we have to hunt. If we're, if we're, if we're hungry, we have to go and kill things. And then, well, it's more fun to do it together. So let's do it together. And then, well, why don't we put these cows in a farm, uh, on land and then we'll farm them and farm agriculture. And then this is kind of like our telos as it develops over time. The problem is that's not true. Our telos is written into us by God, by a design. And so one of the questions is like, does AI have a consciousness? Uh, the answer to that of course is no, it can't. Uh, it's consciousness, if you will, it's prompted by the creators of it. And certainly there's a question of like, is it getting uh, self-prompted, but that's a still a learned task that has to be uh, created by the creators yeah. and, and put into it. To, um, we, give, we give a telos to the system. We tell it what to do, and now it runs off those functions. And so even if it has a telos, well, what about the intermediary mm-hmm. teloses, the intermediary yep. ends, if you will, to get to the final end? We still have to program mm-hmm. those as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So it will never take over in that sense. But it is wildly wildly dangerous if you plug it in and give it the ability to make decisions based on rules that you've written in. And this is where 
the whole reason that I wanted to start uh, with the podcast a couple weeks ago with you about the ordering of sciences and that ethics and morality are above technology and the technological sciences is because just because we can do something doesn't say we should. Mm -hmm. And so we have created this powerful new technology. I go back to the atom bomb example. People are saying, oh, this is like the atom bomb. You're going to have a race in artificial intelligence and different governments are going to be able to use it in different ways that could be catastrophic. And I actually buy that. Not because it's going to turn into this super sentient, like quasi-human or human replacement. You hear people talking about, we should really be thinking of AI more as our children. It's because we've mechanized the person, right? Everything is the machine. The brain's just like a computer. No, it's actually a terrible analogy for the brain. That's a model that we use to describe the brain, but the more we learn about the brain, it doesn't actually really imitate a computer. We build computers to imitate the brain other way around. So can technology, uh, the artificial intelligence, if we give a you know, multinational defense system you, uh, the, <laughs> um, the key to the button goes to the artificial intelligence and you say, in this case, we want you to um, you know, find the best way to protect America, protect Europe, whatever it may be, and then a bad actor acts against it. I don't know how that machine is going to execute that prompt. Just as the, the artificial intelligence, once it gets through the CAPTCHA, finds a way to get through, and it looks like deception. Well, it's finding a way, it's finding a path through the maze to get to the targeted end. So if I'm saying this defense system is to protect America and its allies, and then Russia or South America or you know China or something moves against one of the allies... The artificial intelligence says, oh, I need to do this, this, and this to defend, to get this end. And now it launches a, a nuclear you know, strike. Great. That's a pretty terrible decision, but it's a decision humans would have made to give the artificial intelligence the authority to do this. And so I do find it very interesting that a lot of the um, creators of artificial intelligence have kind of signed on on this very short sentence that basically says we need to tread very carefully mm. so the creators themselves are basically saying this is dangerous we need to tread carefully well i'm, I'm happy they're saying that but it's not enough and, no. and it's not their fault i mean necessarily they're just products of the age but some, one of you guys had a really good point about value judgment that this is a a non-value mm -hmm. Val there's yeah. there's there's it no imitates way. what we gave it as value it's right. not value it's not making a judgment itself it can't be the russian nuclear sub commander who comes up after a super secret mission uh and everything's going crazy and he his his order right his order from the russian government was if anything goes wrong with your mission launch the strike and so he comes up after not being in communication with the Russian mainland because they were trying to hide from all of our sub hunters, um, comes up near, I think near Cuba, near us, there's an American ship that had been, had, had finally discovered them and kind of had been uh, depth charging them with the, the resonance ones that basically just cause it to surface, aren't actually trying to destroy it. Because they knew that they'd been found and they hadn't been destroyed yet, he paused and he went out to see what was going on, still ready with the, the missile armed. And the Americans are kind of like hollering, and he doesn't understand, and it looks chaotic. He's heading back down into his sub to make the command. 
but there's kind of like this log jam of people on this step stairwell going down, which delayed him long enough that one of the other officers was able to realize what the Americans were actually hailing. They weren't trying to attack. They were trying to hail a communication, like what's going on so that they could actually talk. All of that happened. And this man was able to say, I'm not going to execute this fire button. Does a computer have the prudence right. <laughs> to make that value judgment of now's not the time? And that's one of many stories of where we were close to nuclear and a choice of one man mm. kept the nuclear arsenal of Russia and the U.S. from firing at each other multiple times in the Cold War. And would, would, that's why the idea of Skynet you know, in the Terminator movies is so terrifying. You give it the ability, or uh, iRobot. It has three rules that it can't break. And it says, well, humans, humans end up hurting themselves. So the best way to protect humans from hurting themselves is to lock them down. <laughs> you know, the totalitarian regime right. response to it. Um, well, it's interpreting rules that we've given it. Mm-hmm. And again, rules, good, but there's a prudence in implementation, right? And I don't know if computers have that. I think it's so interesting just the, and this will be the last thing I say because I think we are. Uh, I think get, we can go a little long. We can on go a little long on this one. Um, well, it probably won't be the last thing I say then. But um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the loss of, 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 of an objective moral ethic culturally sets us up for a technological moment that requires a human ethical foundation that we don't have. Yeah. And so they can say, yeah, we got to pause. I mean, all these guys saying that it's like good, but we've lost an objective moral ethic as a culture. Yeah. We do not believe in, in, in that, uh, that goodness and evil are objectively knowable and that the, the human person uh, has to conform himself to that through the act of moral conversion. Mm-hmm. And this is the source of human flourishing. Yeah. Like we've lost that. We, and, and that's what I think is so, and it's like this thing is calling our bluff. That's what I feel like <laughs> it is. It's like, this is not the problem. The problem is the way that we have reinterpreted ourselves in a self-creation mode and reduced ourselves to machines. Yeah. And we've been doing that for a long time. And, and this is calling it and saying, whoa, now we're, we've created a sphere of influence and a kind of techne kind of hum- a realm of human action that has to be governed by an objective moral ethic that we've already jettisoned because of the dictatorship of relativism and just that, again, that ethos of self-creation, we're going to determine what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what is so, that's the precipice I see. Yeah. And that's because humans are at the helm of implementing and creating this technology. That's why it's so dangerous. Not necessarily because of what it is itself, but because we are, we are, not ruling by the higher orders. We're not ruling by principally theology. So I started with a declarative declaration from the Catholic Church interpreting Revelation. A lot of people aren't going to accept that. If you're not Catholic, you're not going to accept that. All right, then we go to the philosophical level where we talked about the, the proofs of the immortality of the soul and the soul being the form of the human body through a philosophical. This goes back to the Greeks. Some people reject that on philosophical grounds. I don't think they're good arguments, but okay. Well, we've rejected that. Now we're down to relativism, as you said. And if, if, humans, if humans are just creating this and saying, run, go. And I find it amazing that there's like people saying, oh, you're, you're just a speciesist. <laughs> Yeah. You, you care more about humanity than the machines that we're creating. You're a speciesist. That's why you don't want these artificial intelligence to be birthed, to be born, to be conceived. It's like, yeah, I am a speciesist. 
<laughs> I want to protect humanity, and I think we could kill ourselves with an atomic bomb or with artificial intelligence. The biggest one that I'm actually most concerned about in the in the immediate is the the facial recognition, the gait recognition, the audit recognition like i don't know if you've seen minority report but he walks around that dystopian future world and there's the scanners for his eyes and they're just constantly finding him there's there's no there's no uh (laughs) yeah there's no no place you can really hide from from the overarching eye and artificial intelligence gives us a system that can process this data quickly and efficiently uh and basically have everybody be be observed um and tracked and followed, uh, and, and you can be found out of a crowd pretty easily. And so that type of surveillance state type of stuff, again, why are you using that? Probably with good intentions at first, maybe a little malicious, and then you get somebody who actually isn't uh, caring about the good of a society or wants to progress an ideology. Now I'm using it to hunt people down, to disappear people. This is the type of stuff that we need to have ethical principles uh, situating us in and instead we're just like no no this will help us stop crime or this will help us whatever it may be so that's the stuff that i'm more worried about in the the immediate future as well as like the the quote-unquote deep fake where you you have the voice uh, mm-hmm. through just because my sound my voice has a particular resonance and if you record that over and over again just as the data interprets uh, the waveforms of my voice it can say all right we're going to tune a digital because it can now create it can write the waveform right it can write a waveform imitating the waveforms that it's seen so if you just train it on my voice it's able to write waveforms within my sonic resonance that are going to sound like me and so now can we trust uh can we trust that the three of us were recording this podcast or was this created by three other guys that hijacked our uh our credentials (laughs) and and put together this this right. podcast where that's going to get interesting read. is in politics right yeah and and you know because even when when uh the commercials come out it's just like can you believe president trump or you know senator whoever said this and that's just like you don't want him to be your president don't vote for him <laughs> it's like well now did, did he gonna, say that did he not say that? he probably right. said it so yeah. biden probably said it or mumbled it or whatever but, but yeah sure <laughs> but in the future of like there's there's going to be a lot of fakes out there yeah and so you know what can i trust can i um and my hopeful side says, okay, well, we can't trust these things anymore. We've entered this digital metaverse, and now it's like, oh, well, nothing is trustable. I look at, like, the Tower of Babel. You know, we can't communicate anymore because I can't actually. You cannot communicate unless you have trust that the other person isn't trying to deceive you. But if you're in this world where the high probability of deception is going on, I can't trust it. Now I can't communicate. So now I've got to go back to face-to-face. I've got to go back to handwritten letters. I've got to go back to handwritten contracts. I've got to, so maybe it forces us back into... Well, that's, that's, I think that's kind of my hope is that things will get more... They will, they will clarify and, and sift a bit of like what is distinctively human is so remarkably different than the machine that we fall in love again with humanity. Mm-hmm. So language, for example, like, like this, this kind of language models and these language manipulations... Um, they're showing something about the way that human intelligibility works is that it desires to self-express. So I want to, uh, the meaningfulness of my life is, is, is connected to relationship. I learned how to say these words from being around a mother and a father who loved me and taught me these words. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a machine that got programmed uh, at age zero and just kind of like, okay, this is how, this is how language works. 
but it it was within this communion of love and the exchange of love that the, that the human soul comes to self-express in language a distinctively human act mm-hmm. and is something that is the way that that meaningfulness uh is 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 intelligible this is how we come to know truth goodness and beauty and, and yeah. to see reality as it is and again this is this is rooted in the fact that god his language for self-communication is humanity but it's logos and tech and and the the cultural moment we're facing is that is the triumph of techne over logos in my mm-hmm. opinion and we have to say as christians we we we, we, we don't deny and reject techne but we say fundamentally everything is about the logos because god reveals himself as that and that's the source of meaningfulness in reality that that's that's why things are intelligible not because of ourselves and that's the modern shift and i hopefully that's coming to an end and that we reawaken to this i guess my last thing to kind of just touch base with you on is language as you mentioned and i think I've had a, a long-running theory, um, intuition theory, that a lot of our language really is imitatable and kind of habitual, kind of learned. And this theory, um, not to be judgmental, but this theory came from hearing many conversations of like 16 to 20-year-old girls at the coffee shop <laughs> as I was working over again. I was like, they say the same things over would, and over again. Would you say that your understanding of this pivoted recently? Everybody says pivot. <laughs> Have you noticed this? There you go. Everybody's it's, it's an imitation of the word pivot, um, on brand, you know, whatever it is. We, we learn to, to Im- encode meaning in words about things, and then we just imitate it. And what I was finding was, and I, sorry, I picked on, on women because it was like high school girls that were just talking in this way that was kind of annoying to me. Guys do it too. We do it amongst ourselves. It's a human thing that we learn how to signal our agreement. We have these kind of habits. We talk about language as being a habit. So I say, hey, how's it going? And you say, fine. Or good, how you? How about you? There's, you, do you? Did you really think about that response? No. But hey, how's it going? You know, my best friend just died, and I'm really down, and I'm really questioning this, that, the other thing. That's different. That's different than... A, and that came from a different place than an auditory input with a probable proper output, right? And I think what the GPT system is doing is a very probable imitative output of human language and does really good at it. Honestly, I've written, had it write some papers that are better than the stuff you get from high schoolers, right? <laughs> um, you can find some traces here and there and the, that podcast from the classical stuff you should know which i didn't even know existed until i found they, which were, was they great. were talking about this a great podcast uh, some yeah classical educators uh christian guys that no idea they're, they're after this podcast but they've been doing it for like six or seven years so um interesting yeah um, but they talked about the logic of computer uh, systems is a very uh if then kind of strict logical process, deductive, as you said before. And so even the language comes out in this deductive equals words. So verbs that are uh, he was, he is, it was like, very equal, this equals that, is what it's doing at the surface level. It's taking information, translating it to another language, and then outputting it in another, whether it's text to images or whatever it is, it's translating this is like that. Whereas an author, as they mentioned, Instead of saying, Sean is bored with this conversation now, the author would say, Sean, after listening to Jacob prattle on, 
for an hour and 20 minutes, started spinning his pen in his hand and looking out the window. I, as a reader now, can deduce Sean's bored. (laughs) Father Sean is bored. But I didn't say, Father Sean is bored. I described something. And then there was an interpretive evaluation that the... uh, Yeah, their podcast, The Pomposity of chat gpt is yeah. definitely worth listening to and the, yeah. i think the main takeaway for me was being pompous is not um is a way of being detached mm-hmm. it's a depersonalization in your writing yeah. and it's a tonal error according to strunk and white the, <laughs> the the famous uh kind of book for for writers and so there's there's just a loss of you, you feel it feels empty and soulless when you read a response from chat gpt it might have all the information there, but that's where, as an educator, you're going to look at that yeah. and be like, this is just, you're just, it's the repetition of, of information. There's no soul to this because there's no person uh, connected to this. You, it's just totally detached. It's machine-based. Yeah. And it may imitate more and more. And one of the things that they mentioned was like, oh, no, if, if it's just learning on 21st century writing, that's are we it. just going to be stuck yeah. in a perpetual, like if we start using ChatGPT to write all of our mystery novels and our pop pop you know fiction books and whatever we're just going to be stuck in a perpetual 21st century it's like a like a groundhog's day of language and and thought because that's all it's learned on and so it's not actually learning anything new because it's just imitating and repeating the same stuff that it's learned on so it's not really iterating yeah that's that was amazing so the language point to the end I, i think is is very cool so sean summarize us bring us to a close uh chat or I shouldn't say chat GBT, I'll say AI can never be truly uh, generative or truly creative. It just takes inputs. And so I think we can be confident that it will never take over the world, hopefully. Um, I think we can definitively say that uh, artificial intelligence does not have a soul and has to receive its kind of end for, what's like its, for what it's working form. for from something else um yeah cool (laughs) and i I would just agree with that point i think that's that's really good conclusions that we could make as catholics that there is no generativity by machines Mm -hmm. it's all manipulation so whether you want to whatever you want to call it but it's not generative It, it because generate to generate something is something creators do. And only those that are created imago Dei, the image and likeness mm-hmm. of God, are able to co-create with God. Machines can't create. Um, so that's one thing. And then, the, and then it's not, when we say artificial intelligence, this is not rational intelligence. Yeah. There's no rationality in this. So generativity and rationality, which are distinctively proper to the way that human beings act and live, this is not even living. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just, our language has to be kind of qualified these are unbelievable machines. They're going to have unprecedented effects in the future years to come. We don't know what that is, but to, just to delineate language yeah. uh, and to just get our heads around this in initial conversation has been really helpful for me. So thanks yeah. to both of you. Should we be afraid of artificial intelligence? Yes, because men are at the hands of it. We should be afraid of artificial intelligence in the same way we should be afraid that Russia still has nuclear weapons and America still has nuclear weapons. Uh, because if we implement them in such a way, mm. they could become destructive to human life, yeah. uh, to so. to human flourishing. So yes. Now, is it going to be the taking over as like this new sentient species and race that is like creating these spider monster robots that are you know, I have no idea. But they're not alive, right? Yeah, that's right. And and so they're like the idea like you need to be able to have a, a plug pull pull the plug, 
get rid of the, you know, destroy the system. It doesn't have a consciousness, quote unquote, that like, you know, a lot of the um, science fiction movies, the consciousness gets uploaded into the, into the internet and it kind of like jumps from computer to computer uh, and, and you can't kill it because it's alive. It's like, no, it, it has, it's, it's electronic material in this, in the system mm. and the, and you can destroy that. Now it could, if given the ability, protect itself from that. But again, that's because we're writing it in and allowing it to do that. Sure. <laughs> so, so yes, I think there's worries, but there's really cool things too. Like uh, one of the things that a, a narrow artificial intelligence has been able to do is, is interpret neuro um, brainwave function. And because that's an image mapped Mm-hmm. digitally it can assess those and we can label them as this was a person thinking about you know a horse on a beach and then you can have somebody and they've done this um apparently unresponsive you can ask can you think of a horse running on a beach and that uh, imagination mm-hmm. is, is what we call it the imagination is again of interior function um that has a correlation to the brain and the electronic uh, magnetic field around the brain that can be detected. And so like AI is common sense and imagination detected and assessed, you know? So, so I can, I can see what the person's thinking in an image of the radio wave or uh, electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. And then with enough data, because you thought about it, you thought about it. I thought about it. 10,000 people have thought about it. The system can say, here's the common commonalities between that. And so when they measure the brain function of this person who's unresponsive and it matches with a 70, 80, 90% probability with the other images, you can say, oh, wow, this person was responded. They responded because we asked, which means they can still hear, even though their body's not working. We asked them to think of this thing. We know that brain function started with that. Once we thought maybe that was just the ears firing, like, oh, yeah, of course, there's brain function because the ears were hearing. But now we're saying, no, it actually... imitates what and that's what elon musk is trying to do with Neuralink. that your thought can be read by a chip and then you can instead of saying hey theory just hey siri just think hey siri you know it's like it's so it's frightening Mm -hmm. because it's but it's also really cool and i would close my my uh conspiracy doomsday theory side says are we trying to create a universal language again universal language of mathematics Mm -hmm. in the digital Mm -hmm. world and if we're doing this are we going back to the tower of babel that's a great but if we go back to the Tower of Babel, this is more like Jordan Peterson stuff. Yeah. <laughs> if we go back to the Tower of Babel, but we have all these deep fakes and we can't trust anything, now we can't communicate. We have a universal language, but we can't communicate. Well, what happened in the story of Babel? Hmm. There it is. Well done. <laughs> cool. Good. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, we're already 125 in, so maybe uh, quick shout-outs. Or... I, I don't have any yeah. other than I like the classical stuff guys yep. and uh i don't think they listen or i don't even I don't know, know if they, they I don't know if they came out of our lineage or if they came right out of stuff you should know probably the latter but yeah. <laughs> but they really are uh they're doing interesting stuff and they're they're enjoyable to listen to so and uh yeah my shout out like ryan mack having conversations with him really helped me uh get my head around what i was thinking on this stuff too so i'd like to give a shout out to vince DePizel, who got a beer with last week He's an avid listener. He's in the military. He's a Marine in Pendleton, California right now, about to be deployed uh, in a couple months. So thanks for listening. We're praying for you. And then one question to our listener land. Uh, how can we use artificial intelligence to evangelize people? No. Oh.
Good question. We'll leave it there. <laughs> God bless. Take care. Thank you, Jacob. Mm-hmm.